Well, as Pastor Caleb mentioned during announcements today, is an exciting day for the life of our church. It's a special day in the life of our church. Today is Baptism Day. And later this evening, uh, I think it is, it's 12 or 13, people will publicly declare their faith in Jesus Christ as their Lord and as their Savior. They will be immersed underwater three times in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit. And that might sound like a strange thing to do if you don't understand why we do it. Baptism, first off, is a public confession of our faith in Jesus Christ as our forgiver of sin, as our Savior from hell, as the Lord of our lives. In Romans chapter 10, we're told that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's with your heart that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. And so baptism, first off, is just a public confession that these people are saying out loud in public that they have trusted Christ as their Savior and they want to be a follower of of Jesus. They are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The second reason why baptism is a big deal, it's a simple act of obedience. In Matthew chapter 28, Jesus told his disciples to go and make more disciples and to baptize them in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything that Jesus had commanded. And so this is an act of, a simple act of obedience to Jesus Christ. He said to do it, so we do it. I've noticed this about myself. I've noticed this about others that if we're willing, if, if, if we are willing to obey Jesus in the simple things, we are more likely, more likely to obey Jesus in the hard things I've noticed the opposite is true. If, if we're unwilling to obey Jesus, even in the easy things, the simple things, like baptism, if we're unwilling to obey him in those types of things, it's less likely that we'll obey Jesus in the hard things. So it's, it's a public confession of our faith. It's a simple act of obedience. But there's a third reason why baptism is a big deal. It's the one that I want to focus on this morning. Baptism is a big deal because it represents a miracle, a miracle in the life of the person getting baptized. Now, water baptism is not in itself the miracle. Water baptism does not save us from sin. Water baptism does not save us from hell. But water baptism does paint a visible picture of an unseen spiritual miracle that takes place the very moment that we trust Jesus as our forgiver of sin, our Savior from hell, and the Lord of our lives. Water baptism is this visible picture of someone who was spiritually dead, condemned to hell, but because of this simple faith in Jesus Christ and his offer of grace that he paid for himself on the cross with his own life, this person becomes spiritually alive. Dead, in sin, spiritually dead, and becomes spiritually alive. It is a spiritual resurrection, if you will, from the dead. The gospel 
represents a spiritual miracle. And baptism symbolizes that. Baptism symbolizes this gospel miracle in the life of the one who is getting baptized. That's why it's such a big deal. And so I really do hope that you will come this evening to cheer on those getting baptized to be a special part of, of this special moment in their lives. I mean, I think it's kind of a, a, an important thing if, if you were the one getting baptized to know that your church family loves you and cares about you enough to show up and be part of that moment in your life. So it's, it's an important uh, for us to be there, to cheer them on, to support those who are getting baptized to be part of that moment together as a church family. But it's also a blessing for you. Number one, it's a blessing just to be part of uh, someone's journey in their faith where they're declaring, I'm a follower of Jesus and I am not ashamed of the gospel. To be part of that is exciting. To be part of that as a church family, to know that we've got people that, that we're not just showing up on Sunday and going through a ritual together like this is not supposed to be a, a, a social club that we're actually uh, living out the gospel and, and people are deciding to follow Jesus, that should excite us to know that our church is alive and healthy. So you'd be blessed to be part of that. But it's also, I believe, going to be a tremendous blessing to everyone there as you watch people get baptized as a reminder of the gospel a reminder that the gospel makes miracles possible every day. That's what I want to talk to you about today. How the gospel makes miracles possible every day. You remember our definition of a miracle. It's on your outline if you're following along in those paper notes or on your digital notes. It's on the screen. A miracle is a special event caused by the powerful and intentional action of God. And here's the key for today. This miracle is something that God does intentionally through his divine power, but it shatters the ordinary laws of nature. And so far we've been talking about just the, the laws of the, the physical world and how God sometimes steps in and intervenes and shatters the physical laws that he established and created from the time of creation. For example, if we go to the picnic today, and uh, you remember how Jesus showed up at the, at the party, and uh, they ran out of wine, and Jesus turned water into wine and, and created this incredible miracle where he changed the molecular structure of water into wine. Well, this is, there's not going to be wine at our picnic today. It's not that kind of picnic, right? Uh, but imagine that we show up and uh, everyone took Pastor Caleb's advice and all we have is raisin-filled desserts. And there's just a sadness that, that just kind of glooms over the entire picnic. So imagine then that Jesus shows up and we're sad and we're depressed because there's no good desserts to eat. And we ask Jesus to intervene and he now, through a miracle, changes the molecular structure of the disgusting raisin into a chocolate chip. And there is joy and rejoicing and cheers from everyone at the picnic. Right? That would be a miracle. Right? What we're talking about miracles, it's something special that God does where uh, it's, it's, he 
it's intentional, it is through his power, and he, he shatters he shatters the ordinary laws of nature. And most of the time that we think of miracles in terms of you know, God healing someone that the doctor said there was no hope for, or when Jesus turned water into wine, or in the Old Testament when, when God parted the seas, or the water rather, of the Red Sea, and, and then dried up the seafloor so that his people could escape from Egyptian slavery. Those kinds of miracles are typically what we think of, and they're incredible, but they're also kind of rare. And that's why they get our attention, uh, because they don't happen all the time. They're, they get our attention because they're somewhat special and rare. But what if, what if we could experience miracles every day? What if God would shatter the ordinary laws of the natural world in our everyday lives. And this morning I hope to encourage your heart with this simple truth that the gospel makes miracles possible in your life and in my life every single day. If you would, please grab your Bible. Join me in Romans chapter 6. We are going to cover a lot of ground. We're going to look at a lot of scripture this morning. So just do your best to stay focused, to listen carefully, to follow along. Romans chapter 6, I want to spend some time with you this morning thinking deeply about this, this entire chapter because I think chapter 6 of Romans brings together everything that we're talking about, baptism and miracles and the gospel into one cohesive thought that I hope will challenge your heart, that I hope will inspire you. Uh, with this simple truth that the gospel makes it possible for miracles to happen in your life and in my life every day. Here we go. Romans chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? So what is the answer you're expecting after that question? Uh, probably you're not expecting, well, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, we should probably sin as much as possible. No, that's not what he says. Verse 2, of course not. Oh, that's the answer we're expecting. But then it's interesting how he gives us the why. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ... In baptism, we joined him in his death. For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. The baptism being described here is a spiritual baptism. It is... A full immersion. Water baptism is immersion, full immersion underwater. The spiritual baptism being described here is a full immersion into the life of Jesus Christ. And that is what makes our spiritually dead soul come to life. Water baptism is a beautiful picture of this unseen spiritual miracle. But I want you to notice how the chapter starts. Go back to the first part 
of chapter 6. There's this, there's this question about our daily lives. There's this question that kind of smacks us uh, in the face about our daily choices. Should we continue to sin so that God's grace will continue to increase in our lives? And obviously we don't expect. When I read that to you and then you read the answer, I didn't see anyone fall out of their chair. Uh, What? I was not expecting that answer. No one in the room thought, yeah, I, I expect the answer to be sure. Just live however you want. Make as many sinful choices as your little heart desires. No, we expected the answer to the question to be no or of course not. But I want you to think deeply about the reason why. Because he doesn't just say, should we sin? Obviously, we shouldn't sin. And then leave it there. He gives us a reason why. Because, he says, we are dead to sin and we are made alive with Christ. That's the reason why we should not continue to live a life of sin. I think we have a word for this. When someone is dead and they are made alive, we have a word for that. We, the word we have is resurrection. Resurrection is a miracle. It shatters the ordinary laws of nature. And so he's describing this spiritual gospel miracle that takes place whenever we trust Christ as our forgiver of sin, as our Savior from hell, as the Lord of our lives. Our our spiritually dead soul is made alive by immersing us, baptizing us into the life of Jesus Christ. And he's saying that then impacts the way we live. Read on, verse 5. Since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful selves, what are we talking about? We're talking about the natural self, the, 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 the law of nature, so to speak, is that sin uh, corrupts, sin uh, breaks things, sin makes a mess. And that old sinful self was crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We're no longer slaves to sin, for when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. What is it that breaks the chains of sin in your life and in my life? It is this miraculous new life In Jesus Christ, when we are immersed into his life, that makes it possible for us to break the natural, for God to shatter the natural law of sin in our lives. Verse 8. Now, I'm going to read a big chunk here, so just do your best. If you you have a hard time following, just listen carefully. But I'm going to read a big chunk of Scripture here, starting in verse 8. Since we died with Christ... We know we will also live with him. We are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead. Was that a miracle? That's a miracle. And he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now that he lives, miracle, he lives for the glory of God. So, you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Do you 
Do you hear the gospel miracle being described? Now, that gospel miracle then, he's arguing, impacts your life, my life, in the daily choices that we make. He says in verse 12, do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Well, why not? Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Why not? Instead, give yourselves completely to God. Why? Well, then he gives us the why. For you were dead, but now you have new life. When did that happen? When, when we were immersed into the life of Jesus Christ through faith in him. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of God's grace. Well then, since God's grace has set us free from the law, does that mean we should go on sinning? He repeats the question, in case you missed it the first time. His answer hasn't changed. His answer is still the same, of course not. And he again reaffirms the why. It's good to know the what. Should we continue to live in a life of sin? No. But why? We need to understand the why because that's where the motive comes from. That's where uh, this, the, the mental and, and internal desire comes from to understand the why. Of course, we don't continue to just go on sinning, living life however we want. Don't you realize, verse 16, that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey. You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. Now, what he's doing is he is now transitioning the argument over to the, to the practical. This is very pragmatic. What he's describing here, we, we understand the what, that uh, whenever we trust Jesus as our Savior, our forgiver of sin, our dead soul is brought to life by being immersed into Jesus Christ and his life, and that then transforms us so that uh, we begin to change uh, our desires, our behaviors, our thinking. And then we still have, the, but we still have this uh, daily choice that we, we make because the natural still exists. Now we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. So we have power in living in us to choose something different. But the natural still exists, and we have to make a choice. So he's talking about you're going to become a slave to whichever you choose to obey, either sin or God. If you choose to obey God, that leads, he says, to righteous living. If you choose to obey sin, that leads to death. This is very practical. He says in verse 17, Thank God, once you were slaves of sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey this teaching we've given you. Now you're free from your slavery to sin. You become slaves to righteous living. Because of the weakness of your human nature. So that still exists. It's still a battle for us daily. He'll get into that again in, in chapter 7 in just a moment. Uh, but he says, I'm, I'm trying to use this illustration of slavery to make a point, to help you understand uh, the spiritual point that he's making. Previously, you let yourselves be slaves to impurity and lawlessness, and that just led deeper into sin. But now, well, it's different. Well, now we're in Christ. Now we are, we are spiritually alive in the life of Christ. So that's different. 
Now you must give yourselves to be slaves to righteous living. Why? So that we will become holy. So that we will become like Jesus. He says that in, in chapter 8. So that we'll become more like Jesus. Verse 20. When you were slaves to sin, you are free from the obligation to do right. Right? That, that's the natural. Uh, the, 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 the sin nature is just normal. Before you met Jesus. And what's the result of that? Well, now you're ashamed of the things you used to do, do uh, things that end in eternal doom. But now you are free from the power of sin and become slaves to God. Now you do the things that lead to holiness, that result in eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. The, gift, the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. He's describing uh, walking through life and choosing a path towards sin, towards death, choosing a sin towards righteous living, which leads to better things. The sin nature, the, the, the natural law of sin nature wants to control your life, wants to control my life, the way that I think, the way that you behave, the words that come out of our mouths. But the power of the gospel says that doesn't have to be that way because now that we are in the life of Jesus Christ, that, that uh, power of the, uh, of the sinful nature can be shattered. That the Holy Spirit can shatter that, that natural law and through the miraculous power of the gospel, through the miraculous power of the resurrection of Jesus, we can do something different. We can live something better. I find this to be very, very practical to understand the why, why all this matters in our lives. Let's see if I can describe it this way. Have, have you ever seen someone? I won't put it on you. We'll, we'll, we'll pick on someone else, all right? Have you ever seen someone doing something that clearly is not working? And, and they're getting frustrated. They're, they're maybe doing something the wrong way. And, and you know it. You're watching them do it. And they're, and, and they're just making a mess. They're just breaking things because they're not doing it right. And maybe you say something. Maybe you don't. But inside you're like, it's not the right way to do that. You're just going to make a mess. You're just going to break things if you keep doing that. When I hear people make fun of, when I hear people criti uh, criticize, uh, say critical comments about those of us who desire to live a Jesus-centered life, those of us who desire to live within the boundaries that God has given us for life, I understand. We're not perfect. We don't always hit it. We don't always hit the mark. Uh, sometimes we fall short. But for those of us who, who genuinely desire that we want to be more like Jesus, we want to live inside the boundaries of God's word, sometimes we get made fun of. Sometimes there are critical comments made about us. And when I hear it, I think it used to bother me. When I was younger, that used to bother, bother me. It doesn't bother me anymore. When I hear that, my response is, okay, well, how's your way of living life working out for you? Because I have never met anyone who has said, you know, this, uh, this drug addiction that I have, this, this alcohol addiction that I have, 
the reason I have it, I blame it solely on I spent way too much time reading God's word. I spent way too much time in prayer and it turned me into an alcoholic. I've never heard that. I suspect I never will. I have never ever heard anyone say the, the reason for my divorce is because we, my wife and I, we were so committed Both of us were so committed to all the biblical principles on marriage. We were so committed to the the instructions of sacrificial love. We were so committed to, to mutual respect and faithfulness and purity, and that stuff wrecked our marriage. Never heard it. I suspect I never will. Sin is what makes a mess. Sin is what breaks things. And what we see here in chapter 6, he's just making the point that righteousness leads to something different. It leads to something better. It leads to things like love, joy, peace, patience, contentment, satisfaction, self-control. I don't know how you score quality of life. Like if you were trying to figure out like uh, quality of life at a 10 versus quality of life at a one, like how you would measure all of that. But, but for me, those things, love, if I have love, joy, peace, contentment, satisfaction, joy, self-control, if I have those things in my life, I score that as a pretty high quality of life. And this is where I believe the gospel makes everyday miracles possible because I know this to be true. And I suspect that a lot of you know it to be true, not just because we read it here, certainly this reveals truth to us, but I've also observed it. I know that sin makes a mess and breaks things. I know it to be true because it says in God's word that it's true, but I've observed it in my own life and the lives of others. I know that righteous living leads to good things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, uh, self-control, contentment, satisfaction. I know that to be true, yes, because the word of God reveals it, but I've experienced it. I've observed it in my own life and the lives of others. So I know this to be true, and yet sometimes I still choose the wrong thing. I know it to be true, and yet sometimes I have a sinful, rotten attitude, or I will say something unkind or something thoughtless. I, uh, I will let uh, a sinful thought remain in my mind way too long. And if you're like, well, I guess we have to go find another church. Our pastor's a sinner. I, okay, fine, I get that. But if you can admit that you are also a sinner saved by grace, if you can also admit that you need God's grace daily, like I do, then I would just ask, hang around a little bit longer and listen to what Paul has to say in the next chapter, in chapter 7. Listen listen to the description of this struggle with the natural, with, with the law of sin, In the natural order, ever since uh, creation was broken in the garden, in the very first sin, uh, the world was cursed with sin, everything got broken, everything got distorted, everything got marred because of sin. And that then became the natural order. 
That's why Jesus had to come and, and break the natural order. That's why Jesus had to die on the cross, to shatter the natural order of sin. And, and Paul, in, in chapter 7, is very, very open, very honest about this struggle. He's saved. He loves Jesus. He's following Jesus. Uh, he, he has new life in Jesus Christ, but listen to what he says. He says in verse 14 of chapter 7, so the trouble's not with the law. The, the law just tells us what's, what's right, what's wrong. See, that's not the problem. The problem is in me. That's where the problem is. He says, the, the trouble's not with the law. The law is spiritual. The law is good. The trouble's with me. I am all too human, a slave to sin. What's he talking about? He's talking about the natural the, 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 the law of sin in, in the natural world ever since the fall. And then he describes just in an honest fashion how that plays out in his daily life. I don't, he said, I don't really understand myself. I want to do what's right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But uh, if I know what, that what I'm doing is wrong, this shows that I agree the law is good, so I'm not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. He's not passing the buck. He's not trying to rationalize his behavior. He's just saying this, this law, this battle between sin nature and who I am in Christ, that battle continues to wage in his life. He says I, in verse 18, I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. That's, that's the natural world. I want to do what's right. I can't. I want to do what's good. I don't. I don't want to do what's wrong. I do it anyway. But if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing wrong. It's this sin living, this natural self living in me that does it. I've discovered this principle, he says, in life. That when I want to do what's right, I inevitably do what's wrong. I love God's law with all my heart. But there's this other power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Verse 24, maybe you can relate. Oh, what a miserable person I am. And I wonder if you have ever felt that at times. It's like, man, why? I know better. Why did I do that? Why did I say that? Or, I mean, I thought I was, I, I thought I had moved past this unforgiving spirit in my heart and then I saw him at the store and I just wanted to. Have you had moments in your life when it's like you're, you're driving down the road and like 10 other times someone cuts you off and you're like, peace be with you, I, it's fine. But this one day, I don't know, maybe something happened in the Cheerios, whatever, right? But something happened and that day you're in a bad mood and you're like, and then immediately you're like, why did I do that? I've been making such good progress, Lord, I'm so sorry. What a miserable person I am. Maybe you felt that way at times. He asked the question that maybe you have asked, who will free me from this life that is so dominated by sin and death? The world that we live in is sinful. It's broken. It's marred by sin. And there's this battle within us. Now that we are followers of Christ, that battle continues. Now we have an advantage in the Holy Spirit that lives in us that we didn't have before. We just lived in the natural law of sin, but now we have Jesus, now we have the Holy Spirit, so we have, we have a way to fight back. 
But the battle continues to rage. And he's, he's just being honest about that struggle in his daily life. We should be honest about it. And at this point, it's like, oh, is there any hope? That's almost what it feels. Is there any hope for me? But then he switches in verse 25, and it's almost like, yes, there is hope. He says, thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. It is in Jesus Christ being immersed into his life, into his righteousness, that the natural law can be shattered and we can experience a gospel miracle every day as we allow the Holy Spirit, as we allow Jesus to transform us and, and, and conform us to become more like him. This gospel miracle is being described in, in Romans chapter 8, verse 29, as the goal of the Christian walk. Uh, in, in 829, it talks about God's calling on our lives, and yes, that calling to eternal life is important. <laughs> it's very important. But it also talks about the reason is beyond that. It's to conform you, to conform me into the likeness, to be more like Jesus. One more passage I want you to look at in Galatians chapter 5, and then we'll, we'll wrap this up. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. This is a very practical application of what we just read. So that was kind of heavy in theology. Uh, now let's take that, that biblical truth, apply it in your life and my life here in Galatians chapter 5. How do we do this? How do we fight this daily battle against the sinful nature, against the law of sin in this world. How do we do it? Well, the answer in, in Galatians 5, 16, uh, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. If you let the Holy Spirit guide your life, if I do that, then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. No, okay. Well, the sinful nature that, right, we're talking about the natural order. The sinful nature wants to do evil. That's the opposite of what the Spirit wants. The Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. And these two forces are constantly fighting each other so that you're not free to carry out your good intentions. And we probably all, if we're honest, have experienced that tension in our lives. But when you're directed by the Spirit, you're not under obligation to the law of Moses. And then he describes some examples of, of, of sin and what the sinful nature wants uh, and where it wants to take us. Things like sexual immorality, sexual impurity, lust, uh, lustful pleasures, all these things, jealousy and, and fits of rage and anger, all those types of things. And then he switches over to verse, in verse 22, what does the Holy Spirit? So if we follow the sinful nature and we continue to uh, give in to it, it's going to take us towards death, destruction, misery in our relationships, all these things, a mess, a broken mess. If we follow the Holy Spirit and we let him guide our lives, where will that lead us? Well, the fruit will be love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. If you read throughout the scripture, you see the secret contentment is found in this. Satisfaction is found uh, in, in following the Holy Spirit as well. And my my argument to you is this, that this is a gospel miracle that we can experience every day. When we trust Jesus Christ as our forgiver of sin, 
our Savior from hell, the Lord of our lives, Jesus gives us his Holy Spirit to live inside us, to transform us so that the laws of the sinful nature can be shattered. That we can experience something better than what sin wants to do in our lives. Now I am quite confident that you, I know for myself this is true, we, we all have these seasons in life when we, we beg God for a miracle in the traditional sense that we've been talking about. We, we beg God for a, uh, a miracle healing. We, we beg God for a miracle restoration of something that's been broken by sin. And what we've learned in this series is that when we pray for a miracle, what do we bring to that equation? When we pray for a miracle, we bring faith. We bring faith in God's power. We bring faith in God's purpose. And it's important that we pray for miracles. It's important that we come to God in prayer and we, through faith, ask and and trust in God's power and his purposes to do what he's going to do and, and to trust that he loves us. All those things are really important. And we should not stop doing that. But what if... What if we also prayed for everyday miracles, gospel miracles in our lives? What if we prayed for a gospel miracle in our attitude every day? The natural self wants my attitude to look this way, but through a gospel miracle, I'm trusting the the power of the Holy Spirit uh, to to take the, the, the deadness of sin and give me the spiritual life of Jesus instead, what if we prayed for that gospel miracle every day in our attitudes, in our daily choices, in the words that come out of our mouths, in in our thought life, that this transformation, this miraculous transformation would be true of us every day, all day? What if every day we chose to trust In the name of Jesus, the same Jesus who miraculously rose from the dead. He he conquered sin. He conquered death. And he did so not just to miraculously rescue our soul from sin and hell. What if we also trusted the same Jesus to shatter the natural laws of our sinful nature? What if we trusted in the power of his miraculous resurrection to give us victory over sin, to transform us, to conform us to be like him in all that we do, all that we say, all that we think? What if when I'm driving down the road on 99 and someone cuts me off and then they pump the brakes and all those kind of things that... The natural self in me wants to ride that guy's bumper until we get to wherever he's going. But what if, what if I prayed for a gospel miracle that God would transform my attitude, transform my heart from anger into grace? Taking what would naturally be part of the deadness of my sinful self and did something miraculous with it. When someone says something unkind to you and in that moment the natural self wants to respond with words that are 
equal, if not more, unkind. But what if we pray for gospel miracles? And in that moment, something of grace and love comes out instead. What if we begin to put others in priority over our own selfish desires and we recognize that that's happening because of a gospel miracle that Jesus is doing in us? When we say no to something that promises pleasure but will eventually lead to addiction and destruction, when we when we say no to that, why? Not because uh, we're somehow spiritually strong, but because we're relying on the power of Jesus Christ to help us fight that battle. We experience, I would argue, a gospel miracle. I believe these gospel miracles are possible every day. They just require the same faith in God's power, the same faith in God's purpose that the special, more rare Miracles require. An old song by John Peterson, It Took a Miracle. You familiar with that? It Took a Miracle. The song talks about God's omnipotent, miracle-working power that you and I can see demonstrated in nature, that you and I can see demonstrated throughout the Bible. But listen to the chorus. It took a miracle to put the stars in place. It took a miracle to to hang the world in space. But when he saved my soul, cleansed and made me whole, it took a miracle of love and grace. What if we understood that every day of our lives? What if that's what we expected in our relationship with Jesus every day of our lives? We just have to believe enough to ask him. Maybe, maybe that is the miracle that you need today. Maybe you need God to make your spiritually dead soul come to life. Not only can God do that miracle, he can miraculously transform your life. He can forgive our sin He can give us the power not only to be forgiven uh, by him, but he can give us the power. He can transform us so that the sinful nature's power over us can be shattered. We just have to believe enough to ask him. We just have to believe enough to trust him that what Jesus did on the cross is enough, yes, to pay our sin debt, yes, enough to make us right with God, but it's also enough to transform the way that I think. The power is, it's enough power to transform the, the, the way that I respond, the things that come out of my mouth, the behaviors, my priorities, my daily choices. Jesus is powerful enough to change that stuff too. It is a gospel miracle because left to myself, left to myself, left to yourself, what's the direction we are naturally going to head, not toward righteous living. Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, redirects us in that direction. And that, my friends, I believe, is a daily gospel miracle that you and I can experience.